Welcome to the Secret Lair Drive-In with your hosts, D-Dub and Stratosphere. The Secret Lair Drive-In is dedicated to bringing you the finest in B-movie entertainment news and reviews. And now, on with the show. going to get him off this. You take his head and I'll take his feet. Let's unscrew him. Dr. Vibes, who samples the finer things of life. In his own inimitable way. And experiments with fascinating instruments of death. Well, what, sir? The Gattach. The time curse is visited upon the pharaohs before Exodus. Nine shall die. Nine eternities in doom. Uh, curse of boils, of bats. Frogs? Frogs, yes. And the curse of blood. Curse of hail in the bloody middle of nowhere. the most terrifying motion picture you'll ever see. Right out. And now the movies, folks. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of It Came From Beneath the Drive-In Theater. Once again, I am joined by my co-host, Stratosphere. Thanks, guys. 
And this week's films are, as you can tell by the trailers, Dr. Fives and his sequel, Dr. Fives Rises Again. One of the all-time classics by your your favorite and mine, the, the legend Vincent Price. Oh, speaking of Vincent Price, I uh, actually ran to a Best Buy yesterday, mainly just to get out of the house and get away from everything. And I was looking through the $5 DVDs, as I'm prone to do, mm-hmm. and I found a Vincent Price triple feature. Oh, really? Do tell. It, it had uh, Tales of Terror, Pit to Pendulum, and my personal favorite, The Raven, with Boris Karloff. Awesome. Actually, it's funny because uh, my my daughter, who's 16, has recently uh, gotten into Vincent Price. She's been watching all those on uh, YouTube, and she's like, this guy is really cool. I said, yeah, that's what I've known since I was like seven. Hey, and uh, you should turn her on to the Vincent Price episode of The Muppet Show. Well, wh- whose life is complete without watching the Vincent Price and the Alice Cooper episodes of The Muppet Show? Oh, love the Alice Cooper. He showed up in the New Dark Shadows, by the way. <sighs> We will talk about that another time. Yes. So, in order to get this train right back on track, we're going to start with the plot. I think I'll give the plot of the first one, and you can give the plot of the sequel. Okay, sounds like a fair deal. Okay, the first movie, it starts out, and there's no dialogue, probably, I would guess, for about the first ten minutes of the movie. Yes, and if you've never seen it before... It can be just a little tiny bit on the confusing side. If you've seen it before, you're you're just grinning from ear to ear because you know what's happening. It's cool. Right. And uh, they just kind of see his abode, and then he gets into his car, which is very cool because it has these really cool shades on it that he pulls the shades down, and it's his profile and the back of his head. He drives off, and then you see a cage lowering into somebody's into somebody's room. The cage comes back up, and you're not quite sure what's going to go on. Then you find out a bat attack. Not like baseball bats. I'm talking like fruit bats that are supposed to be vampire bats of some sort. Yeah, I think I, if, if I read correctly, that all they got were very docile fruit bats, so it was pretty heavily edited to make it look like they were ripping him to shreds. Yeah, and there was only uh, one... Effective job, though, I must say. Yeah, there was only really one scene that you could see the wires, and I only caught the wires on my second watch-through. I did not catch the wires, but, uh, again, I haven't seen this thing in, God, at least 25, 30 years, and uh, as as long-time listeners of It Came From Neat the Drive-In know, my, my criteria for whether I like a movie is the seven-year-old in me just, just sitting cross-legged in front of the TV waiting for that sugar high to kick in. If it, if it if it meets that criteria, thumbs up. I I absolutely agree. I kind of look at a lot of these, you know, remembering back. I remember seeing Doctor Fives at the drive-in. Oh my God! I'm so envious. Um, so anyway, uh, the police get called in. What it all boils down to: Doctor Fives is taking vengeance on the surgical team that was responsible for. He's going after the surgical team that was responsible for the operation that his wife died during. And he's using the motif of the plagues that... Uh, how, basically, the, the plagues that uh, were brought onto uh, the Pharaoh and all that in uh, Exodus and Moses and all that. Correct. Basically, now, the Ten Commandments, but uh, as a serial killer's... Uh, theme. Right, and there is one thing about this that I really can appreciate. 
I'm not a really big fan of gore. And I'm not going to say that you don't see any, but it's very understated. And in a lot of cases, you only really see the aftermath. Yeah, but again, this is one of the, this is one of the things that I think is so lacking in films these days is that there's so little left to the imagination. You know, hence the the success of the Saw and the the Hostel series is that everybody has to be led by the hand and showed showed just how gory. Oh, you thought that was gory? Well, wait till you see this. Whereas back then you had more of a, okay, just think about it for a minute. Yeah, it's that bad. And I don't know about you, but the way my imagination runs, in a lot of cases what I come up with is a lot, yeah, in most cases really what I can come up with in my mind is a hundred times worse than what they show on screen. I think that's true of most people. That's, uh, I think Stephen King had commented on that once that, uh, you know, people, there's just no imagination left uh, anymore. Uh, that's why I always say, like, the the two top horror writers, arguably, are Clive Barker and Stephen King. And the best example of Clive Barker is, is you know, he'll he'll sit there and describe in, in almost loving detail like someone being being flayed and the, and each each layer of epidermis disappearing into the night and he'll he'll just describe it almost lovingly and it's almost boring. Where Stephen King's more like, Okay, see that door? That doesn't look like it's breathing to you, does it? Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> well that's interesting. Uh, okay, so we talked about that. Uh, now, all during this, Fibes has an assistant, Volnavia. Now, Volnavia. Now, she you have does to say it right. Well, I know it, wastes, it, it takes up too much airtime. <laughs> and it's precious airtime, my precious. Um, but Volnavia doesn't really say anything, but she assists him in all these dastardly deeds. And I can never figure out why she does it. Uh, they they do they do hint at uh, the fact that she may be one of the uh, clockwork figures that is his little band just more human looking, but other than that, I can't tell. It's like she kind of acts like he's that like she's his girlfriend, and yet he's trying to you know get revenge for his his dead wife and what well, we're getting ahead of the story. But in the second movie, reanimate her. Well, actually, in some of the planned sequels, which we will talk about after we talk about the two, mm-hmm. they actually explain who Volnavia is. Oh, awesome. I didn't read that part. Personally, now, out of the desk, I think one of my favorites was where they got, uh, I can't remember, is it Dr. Longstreet? Terry Thomas. Oh, yeah, where he's, he's basically bled to death. Right. Well, the scene leading up to that, just he's watching a movie. And it's it's like a belly dancer with a snake, and all I could think of all I could think as I'm watching this, and you're gonna I, this is gonna sound kind of strange, but I guess even back then, when you watched porn or pseudo porn, your arm got tired because he had to crank this thing himself. Okay, that's uh, wow, a common problem through the years. Educational, nice to know. That's why anytime you see somebody who has forearms like Popeye, steer clear of them. Wow. So he wasn't just lifting spinach, is what you're saying. Not at all. Wow. 
I know, that ain't right. We could get so dirty with this, but it's a family show, so let's just uh, let's just leave it there. And, hey, as we said, kids, use your imagination. God gave you one. That's right. Seriously, what the hell was that all about? Oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist that. So, the final doctor, who was the head surgeon... He is actually put in in a position, and I'm sure in a lot of ways this influenced the Saw pictures, which, for the record, I have not seen. But I understand the basic concept of them. I've seen seen the first one. I think I saw part of the second one. And the the first one was seemed innovative. The second one, it's like I said earlier. It's like, okay, no, no, wait. You thought that was gory? No, 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 no. We'll, we'll we'll up the ante, and it gets to the point where okay, you're you're just you're 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 buying uh, cartoon you know fake blood in in bulk now. Yeah. Well, anyway, the final the final member who is the actual leader of the surgical staff or the lead doctor, he is if the plague of the firstborn. Fives actually takes his son, implants a key into his body, right next to his heart, as I recall. Right next to his heart, and sets up an acid bath almost to where it's going to drip down on him if he doesn't get remove the key within six minutes, Doctor. That's how long she lived. And you got to think that's got to be had to have been a really tough surgery for Doctor Fives, considering he wears those satin gloves throughout the whole damn picture. Well, but then again, if he could reconstruct his face like that, this is true. But uh, I, I did. Uh, I, I felt it was almost a ripoff, though. And again, we're getting ahead of ourselves just a little bit. Is that Volnavia? Volnavia makes the ultimate sacrifice, and she's the one that gets splattered with the acid at the end. And yet, she come. I, I won't say she comes back good as new in the second movie because she's played by a different actress. So I, I'm not sure what we're led to believe there. Did she have reconstructive surgery? Obviously, got a better reconstructive surgeon than than Doctor Fibes. Well, I don't think it's so much supposed to be reconstructive surgery as you're just supposed to understand this is the same character, because the actress Virginia North, who played Volnavia in the first one, yes, uh, she was, I believe, she was with Child when they were filming the second one. I did read that. Okay, so you know, of course, that begs the question: which Volnavia was hotter? Uh. I'm almost embarrassed to say I cannot picture the first Volnavia in my head. All I remember is she she had that um, the big fuzzy Russian hat at one point, so she kind of looked like she was uh, an extra in uh, Help by the Beatles. Say no more. I, I can say no more. Okay. It's a fiendish thingy. Well, normally I don't like to spoil the ends of movies, but in the case of this one, it kind of leads right into where the second one picks up. Fives. The policeman, the bumbling policeman, hot on his tail. Who are actually quite funny in, in both movies. They, they have a lot of throwaway lines that uh, are, are you really have to be paying attention to appreciate them. Well, sure. It's almost like watching an old Popeye cartoon where he'd mutter under his breath, and that would usually be funnier than what was going on on the screen. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not meant to be a, a comic movie, of course. It's, it's campy, certainly, but uh, funny, not, not really. But uh, at the end of the movie, Fibes and his beloved Victoria are both Victoria. in are both in this crypt, and Fibes drains his blood out 
and replaces it with embalming fluid. As, Which, the, as we all know, works in real life. And it, and the lid of the uh, crypt comes down. As it clicks into place or slams into place, the police come in, where's Fibes, end of movie. Yeah, and it bas- basically when we get to the second movie, um, it it takes place three years later when, when the moon hits uh, the top of the crypt or whatever you want to call it uh, just right. Apparently that activates the whole thing. It, it's kind of a cheap special effect because they basically take the footage of the the blood and embalming fluid and run it backwards and it, and it really looks like that too it does it's like wow you you guys did so many other cool effects and you you just ran out of money didn't you oh yeah you think the embalming fluid or whatever it would have gotten in, infected with the blood or whatever you know what the heck it's a movie but uh one comment i i feel i must make on the first movie the one doctor i i didn't understand how he was responsible was uh, there was a psychiatrist i believe that that gets killed and i'm i'm trying is there a psych- some sort of psychiatric or psychologist and and i'm trying to figure out how how the heck he's responsible for uh Victoria's death uh unless he was counseling the uh various doctors afterwards trying to make them feel better about themselves maybe he counseled uh Victoria before it never is made clear at all uh, all the other, I mean, I, I know uh, in any surgery there's supposed to be a, a huge team, and I get that, but that's the that was my. I mean, it's such a minor quibble. Of course, I've, I'm no stranger to minor quibbles. This was the 20s as well, though. Yes, even though, and I'm, I'm sure you read this, and the um, the theme for Doctor Five seems to be somewhere over the rainbow. And which he we'll get a little bit ahead of ourselves. He he is singing at the end of it, and it takes place in the twenties. And the the song wasn't written until the thirties. Well, that's just one of those suspensions of disbelief. Well, we're going to take a real quick break, and then we'll be back with Doctor Fives Rises Again. Okay, now we're going to be talking about uh, the second movie in our our double feature, first time ever. Ding ding ding. The the classic sequel, Dr. Fives Rises Again. Now, uh, Dr. Fives Rises Again takes place three years after the events of the first one. Uh, he's still in the crypt with um, Victoria. Basically, the moon, as I said earlier, the moon hits the crypt service correctly, and everything, basically, he comes back alive. Victoria's still dead, but... Now he's got some plan that, amazingly, was never mentioned in the first movie, probably because the writers hadn't thought of it. But he's going to uh, take them to the the River of Life in Egypt, and supposedly the the everything has to align just perfectly, and they'll be able to go into the River of Life and bring Victoria back to life. Now, there is somebody else who is trying to reach this River of Life, too. It's a... Um, I'm not sure if it's Professor or Mr. Biederbeck. I don't think it's a professor. Okay, they, they don't really use titles. He's just Biederbeck throughout the whole thing. But um, he's played by a gentleman by the name of uh, Robert Quarry. Who also played Count Yorga in some movie that I don't know what it is. I believe it's called Count Yorga. <laughs> that would make sense. Okay. But, uh, yeah, the the plot goes that he is... 
at least 200 years old and has had some sort of elixir of life. They don't get into too much detail, but suffice to say, he's looking for this same river of life. And whereas the first movie was more of just just a basically revenge fantasy over and over, uh, this is more of a uh, Sherlock Holmes, Professor Moriarty, uh, both both sides trying to outwit the other. Everybody that that gets in. Fibes' way meets with a gruesome death. Uh, more Egypt-themed, not really, uh, not as thematic as the first movie. But no, that was that was one thing that it, I mean, the first one he had a plan, and they were all thematically related. This one, not so much. Yeah, but I I don't think uh, it's amazing how many of these he he had kind of just laying around. I mean, I think his his plot when he first comes back to life is that okay we're we're gonna rock over to egypt and get this thing done and as one thing or another gets in his way suddenly he he comes up with all these things that any anybody else would have probably had to set up for months and he he just boom uh the the first one of which is just it's one of my all-time favorites uh the the manservant of uh, one of the characters I think of ah uh, yeah it was Biderbex yeah it, yeah Biderbex's manservant who is basically uh, muscular bald and mean looking and acting he basically goes to pick up a phone and it's one of the old time uh, like Mayberry RFD you know Sarah get me my house that type of thing <laughs> he puts it to his ear and uh, a, a golden snake that's about a foot long uh jumps out of it and basically goes from one ear to the other and, and impales his head and it's it's so delightfully gross without actually showing anything it's really cool yeah it is done in that uh again that 70s sensibility now this one again without them being thematically related i mean there were some clever ones i, I think they're all sort of e- generically egypt Related somehow. Okay. It, Explain it, the turn of the screw. Uh, he was reading the turn of the screw right before it happened, which well, I, I thought was a that was a nice little subtle bit that that you had to be paying attention to. Oh yeah, I'm just trying to figure how that was uh, Egypt, unless maybe again he comes up with all these things uh, that would have taken practically years of preparation, and and boom, they're they're oh okay, uh, Valnavia, go go to go to go to the van, get this out. That's certainly what it seems like at times. I mean, he he had the the chamber that compressed the one guy. He had the scorpion, the uh, scorpion chair, which if he drops the key into a dog, and he moves the dog so it's looking into a megaphone, so it looks just like the RCA RCA, RCA Victor, his master's voice. Yes, I, the, uh, that's one thing I, I just love about both of these movies is that they seem like they're really done with a just kind of a, a wicked little sense of humor about them. Well, just talking about a wicked sense of humor, Terry Thomas appears in both movies. As different characters. Yes, as different characters. But in the first movie, as he's watching that film, just the looks on his face. Oh, yeah. Well, Terry Thomas extremely gifted comedic actor uh did the voice of the march hare in uh disney's alice in wonderland as you know i'm a huge alice in wonderland fan so uh i i'm i'm very much a fan of his uh if you recall uh, the 
uh, those daring young men in their flying machines. That's right. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he also in like the Great Race or something? Yes, I believe so. All all, all oh. those all those genre films. Terry Terry Thomas with the gap teeth. Uh, but and of course, fabulous comedic actor. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Yes. So so um, okay. So anyway, he's going through all these. Uh, it keeps getting closer and closer to. Uh, Getting to the river of life and keeps telling Volnavia, go to the van, get the get the latest trap, and you know, just spring it on our, our unsuspecting uh, poor peon that that's trying to uh, get in my way. My my favorite one, I have to say, is where the the one guy thinks uh, that the the Scottish uh, tribe uh, is over the hill. Yes. It, 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 it's it's something that wouldn't work on anybody that's not British. If you think about it, because there's there's such nationalism over there, nothing bad about that, but that wouldn't work American or almost any other country. But the British are are so fanatically national. Uh, I, I I just like, oh my god, that is so brilliant. Yeah, it's not like you're going to hear uh, Larry the Cable Guy over the next dune and go, hey, it's Larry, he can help us. Get her done. Of but, course, what happened to him? That's another one of those. How did he manage to do that? In a couple of minutes. Oh yeah. Well, at one point he he has a body buried like underneath the camp, which is like busy with excavation and all that. And uh, uh, one little thing that I there's no way they could have possibly done it, although it may be like a reverse shout out, is uh, the one chamber that had the two huge uh, statue feet. Uh, I know you didn't get through all of. Uh, the seasons of Lost, but there, those same feet are are in there at one point. I wonder if they were just sitting around a uh, soundstage or something, or uh, either that or somebody was, you know, one of the producers was watching and said, "Oh man, wouldn't that be cool if they like were, were on a boat and went around the island and suddenly saw one of those feet?" Because I mean, it looks, except for the fact that on uh, Lost they only had four toes, but they kind of, I think they established. Later on, that one of the toes had broken off because of some... Oh, I thought maybe it was a tribute to Fred Flintstone. Do the courtesy of Fred's two feet. Nice. But uh, anyway, as uh, they're approaching the, uh, the the final denouement, if you will, that, uh, long story short, Fibes gets on the, uh, the little boat with uh, Victoria and, and Volnavia is with them as well. Uh, right before this happens, he basically says to Volnavia, "Thank you, f- thanks for all your help. You can return to where you came from." She goes down the psychedelic tunnel, and that's it. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. But uh, yeah, he goes on the uh, the river of life, and the the guy that had the elixir of life, uh, Biderbeck, uh, since he's used up the last of his uh, elixir, and he's can't get to the river of life, he basically ages to ancient age and dies in the space of like you know twenty seconds and it it the last shot you see is of Fibes uh working the the little boat like a kind of like a gondola and he's singing somewhere over the rainbow freeze frame and see well you know in some of the releases uh the video releases I don't know if it was a rights issue or that, but they replaced the Fibes singing over the rainbow with something else which uh, I couldn't even tell you what it was. Probably just some sort of uh, big bandy twenty sounding music. Yeah, I I didn't quite get some of the um, 
the band music that was playing the the whole clockwork band it 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 was the one part of both movies that i i it just struck me as kind of okay it's eccentric but i don't quite get it well the way i interpreted the clockwork band in that um when victoria died fives was in switzerland performing now fives was an organist as well as a doctor well i think he was a doctor of music but apparently he knows how to do everything but as he was performing, uh, one of the drum heads said something along the lines of Dr. Fibes and his mechanical marvels or whatever. So I'm guessing that they probably toured with him. Oh, okay. That I did not know. I'm I'm just guessing. So, But, uh, yeah, that's basically where it ends. Uh, I, had, I had read briefly. I didn't get into too much detail, but it was my understanding that they had... They did have some plans uh, to create even more sequels, but um, plans fell through, apparently. Yeah, I'm not sure if it had something to do with the uh, the company that owned the rights or what. But as I was teasing earlier, in one of the sequels, they actually would explain who Volnavia was. Oh, and do tell. Well, this would be one where Victoria is alive, and Victoria and Fives are trying to... It had something to do with these ivory statues that would show them where to go to where they could gain true immortality. Hmm. And through the course of events, it turns out that Volnavia is um, Athena. Oh, the the Greek goddess of wisdom? Wisdom and quite a few other things, I think. Yeah, she wore a helmet. That's mainly what I remember about Athena. She wore a helmet. Yeah, and uh, I guess because of uh, Fives' love for Victoria, she decided to help out. Wow. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Like I said, so many little touches with this movie. And it just, it, although I did read that uh, Robert Corey, that played Beiderbeck, and Vincent Price uh, uh, did not get along, he Vincent Price felt he was being pushed out as as the quote unquote horror master. One story I read that I I found quite funny. At one point, Robert Corey started singing opera, and uh, you know he said to Vincent Price, "Bet you didn't know I could sing opera." And he, although I'm going to censor it a little bit, uh, he, uh, Vincent Price says, "Well, I knew you weren't an effing actor." <laughs> that sounds like it. Well, there was also apparently. Joseph Cotton, who played a doctor in the first movie, the the he played the father of the boy that needed to be operated right. on. He was the lead surgeon. Well, Volnavia and Vincent Price, that would be Virginia North in this one. Yes. Um, well, they didn't really have any lines that they had to worry about, so you know they could go just waltz in and improv their scene, and the director say, "Well, you need to do this and you need to do that," and. This was really cheesing off Joseph Cotton because he'd have to remember all of his lines. Yes, uh, uh, Vincent Price's lines were basically being spoken by a stagehand to, to give him his cues. And and it turns out that not only did Vincent Price know what his lines would have been if he was actually speaking them, but he knew everybody else's as well. It's my understanding Vincent Price was legendary on almost every film he worked on. He learned every single line of the script, regardless of whether it was written uh, for him or not. Well, I, I'd have to imagine in his craft it would probably be uh, extremely helpful. Uh, yeah, you just can't help but love Vincent Price. 
and um, one of the things I I I love this both these movies. I haven't seen them in years, and as I said, the the seven year old test passed with flying colors. I think I arguably enjoyed it more now as an adult. Uh, it was like, wow, nobody makes movies like this anymore. Well, I think a big part of that is you're looking at it almost with a fresh set of eyes after all the years because that really is true. until until recently I hadn't seen them in, since I saw them at the drive-in way back when. Yeah. Which apparently I get a lot of my my love of these old horror and B movies from my parents. I'm thinking back to all the drive-in movies we went to go see. See, my my parents didn't go. We saw mainly comedies and Dirty Harry movies, which is an odd combo. We, we did a lot of these. I remember seeing one called Mark of the Devil where they pulled somebody's tongue out. I remember and seeing Race with the Devil. Um, that was in junior high school. Yes, with, with Loretta Swit. God love her. That's right. Um, that one still creeps the hell out of me. I um, haven't seen that one in years. But looking at it with a fresh set of eyes, and you also have a new perspective because you're looking at it and... Like the set design is actually gorgeous in this. Oh, that those Art Deco sets! I, I love Art Deco. It's probably my my favorite. I'm not a big style person, but any movie, you know, some of those old, uh, you know, movies like Top Hat with Fred Astaire. Those Art Deco sets are just gorgeous. You, I, I could I could look at watch movies like that for hours. Well, and th- now when they went to um, Joseph Cotton's house. It actually looked a little bit more modern, but somehow it didn't. It wasn't jarring. Most of the other doctors, they had like the wooden studies and, you know, the very typical. Um, actually, I, and I'll make an observation here that that speaks to something that I believe you had uh, talked to somebody else on another segment of your show. A, a lot of it is got, almost got that Victorian look to it, and it actually almost looks a little steampunk to me. You know, I was really thinking about that, especially like, for example, where the where uh, the curse of hail comes in, and he puts this whacked out looking machine in there. Yeah, it, it, it's a little too Flash Gordon. He he could he could have steampunked it up just a little bit more, but uh, I, I definitely got that. Especially like I said, when they're in the studies and they've got they've got the globe in the corner and the bookcase, and it's like you expect somebody to just whip something out of their pocket that looks like it has all the weird little pipes and, and whatnot and locks and latches yeah. from steampunk. Either either that or you expect Rod Taylor and his time machine to show up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Of course, it was it, w- it was bought by the Big Bang Theory uh, group, so... Uh, yeah, and that was a classic. But uh, I tell you, I, I kept thinking throughout watching both movies, you know, no one makes movies like this anymore, but I thought about it, and... Here's where I'm going to get into a lot of trouble with with people I know, is that they could make this movie again, but the problem is Tim Burton would wind up doing it, and you'd have Johnny Depp playing Doctor Fives, and it most cer- it most certainly would have uh, you know two little girls on the soundtrack going la 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 la, and, and have- Danny Elfman doing the soundtrack. And you'd have, Tell me I'm wrong. And you'd have Helen the Bottom Carter playing Volnavia. Volnavia, yes. Of course, you know, she doesn't talk, so hey, <laughs> gotta love that up, you know. Cause I <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ain't but, that a blessing? 
like, can we all please stop enabling Tim Burton? I mean, you keep going to see his movies, he keeps making more. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping Frankenweenie is like the worst bomb in the history of, of movies so so that people will realize he's been remaking the same movie and just plugging in the plot line. Well, I've only got one thing to say about that. Oh, my God. Why? I would agree with Samuel, Brother Samuel. <laughs> Preach. But, uh, yeah, it's it, 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 sad to say, yeah, they could do it. And the sad thing, it, it probably oh, would be. Oh, cute. So, Sorry. Let's try. I, I can try to edit that out. But, uh, other than that, like I said, I, I love it. it. It's These are two. two I got to say, since we started doing this, this is the most fun I've had watching, you know, movies that that we haven't seen in in forever. I mean, I just was so, some of the movies we've watched. I've because I'm tired from whatever reason, mm-hmm. you know, I'll sit there and I'm like trying to stay awake. Of course, that takes me back to a kid because a lot of times they were running it on the late show, and that was the whole thing. Could you actually stay up that late and not fall asleep? That was part of the challenge. That was part of the challenge. Yeah. And uh, so, in that sense, we're we're definitely recreating that feeling. But uh, watching these, I, not once was I tempted to fall asleep. I was absolutely riveted. Both movies, watched them back to back, and just had a ball. Oh, I I tell you what, I absolutely I absolutely loved these movies. And even though it had been literally probably thirty years, maybe more, since I had seen them. Uh, there were certain images that just were in my head that I could not get rid of. The acid scene, uh, the thing with the locusts. That was arguably the grossest of, of them. But it, again, it was more implied. You don't see the, the locusts like eating her, but it's like, ew, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like the before and after. But leading up to that, you had quite possibly what I thought was Vincent Price at his hammiest best, the where, Brussels sprout scene. The, where they're mixing up, yeah, from Brussels sprout. I, and it's funny because I'm watching that and I'm like, because I, I was trying not to peek ahead at, at the plot line, what was going on, and I saw them doing that and I'm sort of like, what? Is, they're, they're going somewhere with that. But I, And then once I realized what they were doing, it's like, oh, yeah. So I actually, I, I, you're right. That was, that was him at his hammiest and uh, brilliant scene, brilliant the way he does it. Plays it perfectly. They, they bring over basically a wheelbarrow of Russell Sprouts. He looks at them, picks up one, tosses it aside. I mean, <laughs> the man was a perfectionist, even even as a serial killer. Oh, okay. Well, you got any final thoughts on this? Um, I'm actually tempted to go see it again, but uh, as I said, my my daughter's gotten into Vincent Price, so she's probably going to steal it away from me, and uh, maybe we'll watch it together. Hey, so uh, a little bit of family bonding there. Oh, yes, over serial killers. Okay, so tell me, Strat, what's our film for next time? Okay, well, our uh, film that we are going to be uh, talking about is, uh, it's technically a sequel, but uh, it's the one that used to get shown here in uh, in the heart of uh, Cleveland, is War of the Gargantuas. Another Toho classic. Yes, it's actually the sequel to uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World, but to my knowledge, that never that one never got shown here, or if it did, I don't remember it. I can distinctly remember being over somebody's house and it being on. 
then you have a better you, you have a better memory than me. But yeah, War of the Gargantuas they ran a number of times. Well, that's because it's such a good flick. Well, that and they used to do a thing here in Cleveland that I I miss. But of course, through the mo- modern miracle of video, you can pretty much watch anything when, whenever you want. But they used to run a thing called the weekend movie, and they would basically run the same movie at uh, 3 p.m. on 11 p.m. on Saturday, and then again at 3 p.m. on Sunday. So if you missed it, it's, it's kind of like the uh, the Christmas Story marathon, but o- only three times. Yeah, I can remember a lot of uh, movies. I've watched Fantastic Voyage three times in one weekend. And, of course, my holy grail that I have looked for online, and I cannot find it, but one day, one day I will find, I sailed to Tahiti with an all-girl crew. Okay, listeners, anybody that has any idea how I to will pay it. cash money. I am not, so not I am so not kidding. Oh, I got a cash money. There was a girl in there called Jimsy. I had such a thing for her. Gotta have it. Please hook me up. Thank you, listeners. I'm sorry the two I had the big, I had the hottest for the most were Julie Newmar and Julia Adams from uh Creature from the Black Lagoon. But anyway, for It Came From Beneath the Drive-In. Haha, I didn't say movie that time. This is D-Dub. And Stratosphere. Enjoy your day and go watch a B-movie. And if you can't find that, find a Z-movie. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. Come away.